Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim Yeagle, and as you just heard, um, you can read the scripture, Psalm 30, on the screen. You can read it on uh, page 5, um, or just listen and follow along. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and closed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you are with us in the morning and that you are with us in our weeping. You are with us in our rejoicing. And Father, we ask uh, for those of us who may be weeping right now that you would be near to us. We ask for those who are rejoicing that they would be able to just help support those who may be weeping. And Father, we ask that you would just comfort us wherever we are, meet us as we read your scripture, uh, give Joel the words to speak, um, and we ask all of this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. For the month of July, we are spending time in the book of Psalms, and uh, we can't cover all 150 psalms in just five weeks. That would be a big challenge to do Sunday over Sunday. But what we can do is encourage you to read the psalms along with us. So if you start reading just five psalms a day, so today, for example, if you started today and you read Psalm 1 through 5, then tomorrow you read Psalm 6 through 10, then in one month, in a 30-day period, you could cover all 150 psalms. Now, if you are doing that with Mosaic, great job, keep up the reading, uh, we would 
let you know that as you cover those 150 psalms, you are going to hear songs that relate to our lives, that connect to what we're going through. Part of the enduring value of the psalms is that they cover such a broad range of the human experience. So last week, we looked at God's care for us, that we are, in some sense, like sheep going through life. We uh, need care, and God is our good shepherd. And uh, today, we arrive at Psalm 30, and it is a psalm of praise, a song of thankfulness. We are getting a firsthand account from David but an account that invites his people in to recognize that God is still at work in our lives, that he hears us when we pray and call out to him, and that he responds and redeems us. And that when that happens, not just for us as individuals, but for the whole community, we can respond with a resounding, thanks be to God. That we, together, even if in our own individual lives, we don't have all our issues fully resolved, that when a sister or brother in the faith hears a redemptive response from God, we can celebrate, give thanks, give praise to God alongside them. That's what a psalm of praise or psalm of thanksgiving does. There was a racehorse in the late 1930s named Seabiscuit. It may be one of the few racehorses that you actually know the name of. Uh, and you can uh, watch a movie uh, about Seabiscuit's life. There's a documentary out there. There's a book by Lauren Hillenbrand about Seabiscuit and uh, the horse's story. But one of the things that I found fascinating about the life of Seabiscuit is not only the story of the smaller horse who started off not doing so great in the races that the horse ran in, was a bit smaller. No one thought much of the horse, not the owner, not the trainer, not really anyone. And then later in life, uh, someone catches a glimpse of the potential, and the horse begins to break through. That by the end of the 1930s, the horse has captured the attention of the entire U.S., at that time, Seabiscuit began to win races. There was this West Coast, East Coast thing setting up and who was the greatest horse in the land. And people seemed to gravitate towards Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit and its rider and owner just captured the attention of the broader U.S. But it was more than just about horse racing, which was more popular then than it is now. But it wasn't really about that. In the late 1930s, the effects of the Great Depression were still being felt by the average person. Life was a struggle. People themselves felt like underdogs. And so there was a sense of a connection to the story of Seabiscuit that people seemed to feel in their own lives. Here's the story about someone who was written off or was an underdog or wasn't doing so well who then began to succeed. And as people cheered for Seabiscuit, it's as if the wins for Seabiscuit became some relief, even some value to those who watched. That, at least as the story is told now, is a part of what connected 
this story about a racehorse who was an underdog who started doing well, to the lives, and we're talking about thousands and thousands of lives in the broader U.S. That connection propelled the story of Seabiscuit where it has this lingering value to us now. This idea that uh, when we follow and are captured by the stories around us that connect to our lives, we are invested into them. This is a bit of what's happening in Psalm 30. Because in Psalm 30, at least on its face, on the first read, what's happening is David, the king of Israel, is telling a story about his personal life. And we'll get to his story in just a second. But it was more than just a story about this guy, David, and how God was responding to him because David was king. And David was meeting together for worship with the full people of God so that there was this connection because of who God is and because of the promises that he had made to his people that when David went down to the depths and was brought back up by God, that not only David individually could celebrate, but he could call all of God's people to give thanks and to praise the God who brings deliverance. This idea that there is reason to give thanks to God, not only because of what's happening in our individual lives, but because how God is working in our full community. Psalm 30 is the victory of David over the darkness of the pit. And it's more than just that individual story. It connects to your and my life today. If you, at any point in recent years or more, have experienced darkness, and you're here wondering, where is my hope in the face of that? Where is their cause to give praise? Where can I lift my head and find joy again? David's story is an invitation to you to join in because of the people of God and God's promises to them. And so we'll look at this Psalm 30 together, and we'll do it in two points this morning. Connected lives and directed praise. In verse 1 of Psalm 30, it opens up a psalm of David, right? So you're introduced to David. A song at the dedication of the temple. This phrase that through uh, the centuries, at varying stages, when people gathered, this psalm became a rallying cry, uh, a song of thankfulness and praise that people could sing together. And in verse 1, we get a short synopsis, this uh, quick unpacking of just why David can call out to people and say, God is worthy to be praised. In verse 1, he says, I will extol you, O Lord, the covenant God of Israel, the one who's given his promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to David himself. I will lift you up, is the language. Right? David is calling out in front of the people saying, I will lift you up, O Lord, for you have drawn me up from the depths of Sheol. You have reached down and picked me up. And so I have reason to praise you, to extol you, to lift you up. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down 
to the pit. David was at death's door. And we don't get all of the specific circumstances. David doesn't really tell us what was happening. We don't really know exactly how that looked. Was it uh, physical threatening from his enemies? Maybe. Was it like an illness uh, that he was suffering from? Maybe. Uh, Was it some combination of those things? Uh, Maybe. We don't quite know. We just know that David was at the door of death. And he called out to God. And God responded. In verses 2 and 3, this language of being brought up from Sheol, which basically means the grave. You can imagine it this way. If you've ever gone to uh, the, the... MVA in this area, and you needed a new license, you needed a registration or something from uh, the MVA, then you show up and they give you like this letter number combination, and you sit down in a room full of people. And uh, there isn't always a rhyme or reason for how these things unfold, but they just start calling out letter and number combinations, and you just kind of watch, and it directs you to a window. So you're in a room full of people, and you know that all of them are waiting for something that relates to their license or motor vehicle, but you're not quite sure where you're at in the queue. You just know, well, a lot of these people are here before me, and so I'm just waiting my turn. That's the language that David is using when it comes to the reality of death. He basically says, I was in the waiting room of death, and I had been assigned a number, and I was surrounded by the people who were on their way to the grave. And while I was there, I called out to you, God, to deliver me. And you did. You reached down, and you moved me out of the queue for the line of death. You led me away from death's door. In the midst of my own darkness, David says, you heard my cry and you delivered me. And so David is recounting the story now later at the temple with the people of God, calling to them to say, you're connected to this, and so you should rejoice with me. Now, I know that this may push against some of our sensibilities, because here uh, in our current cultural moment, if you had a spectrum of kind of communal and individual, much of our current moment leans pretty heavy toward the individualized, what's going on with you personally. But here in the psalm, what David is saying is because of God's promises, when we gather even for worship, what happens in my life is connected to you so that you can praise, give thanks. You can lift up the name of the Lord with me. David is inviting us to not just hear his testimony and say, oh, that's great for you, David. Good job. I'm glad you were delivered. David is inviting us to see the connection of the God who created the world, made promises to his people, and is being faithful to his full people even in the face of death. And that you, if you are part of the people of God, you get to celebrate, give praise, worship God for what he's doing. Thanking God for his support and care and deliverance is just a part of the life of a community. It's part of the life of God's people because we're connected together. Our lives touch on one another. 
We believe that here at Mosaic Silver Spring. And so just as one example and application of what's going on here, in our community groups, when we gather regularly, our hope is that a part of that time is prayer with and for one another. We actually devote some time praying for one another. And those prayers may take on a variety of topics or subjects. Sometimes we may pray because we have a big decision, and so we're asking God for wisdom. Sometimes we may pray because we're struggling with something going on in our own family. Sometimes it may be an illness or some other thing. All of that is good. And the Psalms give us lessons for how to call out to God. But there's more to prayer than just asking God for help in our time of need. Part of the purpose of the Psalms of Thanksgiving are to remind us that God hears our prayers and that he works out in the life of our community. So that in our community groups, uh, the leaders of those groups should uh, include elements of prayer that not only make requests of God for health or decisions or wisdom or family dynamics, but then give thanks when God responds, when deliverance is brought out, even if it's not directly related to your individual lives, because you're a part of that community when someone else rejoices at God's hearing and answering their prayer, we are invited in to celebrate with them. Have you ever had a bad day and you've been hanging out with or you're in the car driving with people and they put on music and it's a song that you know and like and then you're caught in that moment of tension where you're like, I'm not having a good day and I just want to be unhappy right now. But then it's like your head just starts to move a little bit because the song is good. You know this song. And you get caught in this moment of tension of like, yeah, but things aren't going really good in my day right now. But your head is moving. And then your foot starts tapping. And then before you know it, you're, like, you're in the back seat, you know, like swinging from side to side and maybe singing along with the music because you are a part of something that goes beyond your own individual circumstances. That tension that you feel in the car, that's what it's like for us spiritually as part of a broader community. And I'll tell you why. When... God responds to people's prayers. We are invited in to celebrate with them, to give thanks to God, to lift up God's name for drawing up from the depths our sister or brother in our community. But we individually sometimes can feel this tension because we're still going through our own stuff. We have asked God for help in our individual lives, and God maybe hasn't answered yet. And so in that tension, part of why it's good to sing these songs of thanksgiving, even if you don't individually feel it, part of the reason why is because you are part of a broader community. And it's a calling for you to see beyond just your own individual circumstances and say, okay, God, I'm still asking for this one specific thing in my life, but that doesn't have to keep me from starting to move my head with my sisters and brothers when you have answered the prayer in their lives. And that's how the covenant or corporate community works. That's how we push against this highly individualized expressions of our faith and say, okay, maybe there's something more beyond just my own individual concerns. I don't mean to minimize that tension. I think it's a tension that we all feel, including me, myself. But if left with the choice of moving your head or sitting with a frown and crossing your arms and stubbornly not acknowledging always go ahead and start moving your head. 
That's what it looks like to be a part of a broader community and to push against that individualism. Because we have connected lives because of our shared faith. Praise, then, is not primarily some sort of individualized emotional expression as much as it is a turning our attention to the active work of God in our community. Let me say that again. When you show up and you're following along with the lyrics and the music is playing here as part of our worship at Mosaic, it's not primarily an expression of your own individual emotional state and circumstances in this moment. It's more an expression of how God is working in our community and who God is in his character. Our worship is not about us. It's about God. And so even in the face of our own struggles, even in the midst of our own tension, we show up and remind each other that we have reason to give thanks. Now, you may be asking, wait, but is that true for me? Do I have reason to give thanks? Let me tell you, you do. In verse 4, the psalmist David directs the people, kind of gives this call out. He says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. David is using the reality of his story to call to the people, regardless of where they're at individually, to give praise. In verses 9 and 10 of the psalm, he recounts again, he almost kind of gives more detail to his struggle and his call for response. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my depth if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? So that's David's plea in 8 and 9, this idea of calling out to God, an expression of praise, a call for mercy. The Lord responds, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. And in verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, which is another way of saying you have taken away the reason for me to be sad or to lament. You have clothed me with gladness. That, the glory, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord God, I will give thanks to you forever. So David unpacks the specifics of both his call for help in his deep, dark moment and the Lord's response. And in supporting his cause individually to the corporate people of God, he, in verse 4, is calling to them, saying, now you sing praises to the Lord, all of you his saints. And the language of saints is oftentimes used to talk about holiness or to talk about uh, kind of our, uh, how we are positionally placed in Jesus. But here this language is connected to the members of that full covenant community. So when you see saints here in verse 4, it's this reminder to give praise to the covenant God because you are members of his covenant. David calls out to people to make music with instruments. Strike up the band, David says. Clear space for us to dance together. The king 
calls to his people to say, celebrate with me because the Lord is at work. So he's directing them to give thanks to God for deliverance. Now I said, we may struggle with this tension point of like, how do we do that if we individually are in the midst of deep, dark struggle? What if we feel like right now we have been assigned a letter and number that we ourselves are seemingly in the waiting room, in the queue for darkness or death. What hope do we have? David's psalm is instructive not just for the people in David's day, but for all of the years that followed. And for you and I this morning, in the midst of our own tension, it becomes an invitation, not only because of David's call himself in verse 4, but because of the greater David that would follow him a thousand years later. A greater and better king who would come after David, yet in his line. A king who would demonstrate God's faithfulness in the midst of our own waiting. A king who would make clear God's invitation for all of you to celebrate and give praise for his redemption. When Jesus of Nazareth came into the world, he announced that God's kingdom was at hand. And I'll remind you that Jesus himself was in the queue in the Garden of Gethsemane awaiting at death's door. And he called out to the Father for deliverance. And the Father's response to him was, uh, my will be done. Jesus goes to the cross and enters in to the dark place for you and I. And then three days later, that Easter morning, he is raised from the dead in vindication of God's promises. This connects to our lives in the face of our own dark spaces where we may be wondering in that tension, can we praise God? The work of Jesus in facing the reality of death for you and I is that the answer is yes and amen. What this psalm teaches and calls to us is that because Jesus has gone to the grave for us, when we are in the queue for Sheol, when we feel like we are in the midst of our own dark spots, we can still exalt or lift up the name of the Lord and give praise because in the face of our own sin and in the face of our own waiting spot for death, Jesus enters in and lifts us up takes our spot, and brings about our deliverance. So even if you're in your own circumstances, you're not exactly seeing how God is working or where his answers are. As Christians, as a people of faith, in our most ultimate dark waiting spots of sin and death, Jesus has already made good. And so we are called to exalt. Jesus entered into the grave to pull us out. Jesus took suffering upon himself so that we may be healed. It was Jesus who graciously entered into our darkness to lead us out into light. So that part of how we deal with our own tension and struggle is that we turn in faith and reminded of the work of Jesus. And that is our call to praise. 
Psalm 30, verse 5, has stuck around for now thousands of years, is this poetic expression that we can still sing even this morning. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. We may experience some darkness in our lives, but because of the work of Jesus, it is always temporary. The language of verse 5 is like that friend who comes over who needs a place to stay, but who you don't like very much, but you know you have to show hospitality. And so you're like, all right, you can stay. And then you let them stay, but you can't wait. You're watching the clock tick because every hour that person, sooner or later, has got to go. That is what the psalmist cries to us in the midst of our darkness, that this unwanted tension may stick around. It won't last forever. We may experience some of our own dark Good Friday evenings, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, we have an eternal Easter morning to look forward to. Our poetic confidence leads us to give thanks to God because of the grace that we've been shown through Jesus. So that even in our moments of tension, we can lift up, extol, and praise God's name because he has faithfully delivered on his promises for you and I. As Christians, that's how we push against not only the individualism of our prayers, but that's how we live day over day in the tension of our dark moments and still can lift our faces, not our heads, and sing of God's praise. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you will watch over us and that as we wrestle, some of us more than others, with dark moments, give us the reminder of your work, Jesus, for us. You're entering in that we may be delivered so that we can lift our heads, tap our feet, maybe even clap our hands because you are good and you have made good on your promises. We thank you for your grace to us in Jesus Christ. Amen.